Previously on Storylogical. <laughs> Language is cool and shapes the way we think and our very reality, and that is the theorem that this story proves. We don't live in a mathematical reality. <laughs> no, no, we don't. No, we don't. Um, it's just a nice, nice little model that we lay over the top of reality so we don't fall through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of tree sap and optimism, as my friend would say. This is Storylogical, a podcast about amazing stories that we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerud. And I'm E.G. Kosh. We're going to talk about two Te Ching stories this week. Uh, Division by Zero and Story of Your Life, both from his one and only collection of stories, I believe. I believe so. Mm -hmm. Called Stories of Your Life and Others. So the story we're going to start with is Te Ching's Division by Zero. It is an early Te Ching story uh, in which he explores how a relationship falls apart precisely at the moment the couple are closest, divided by what they both know to be true. You have absolute empathy paired with an absolute and uncrossable distance. And the way he does it is he divides his story into a series of repeating sections, almost as if you could imagine he's going through, well, not almost as if you could imagine, exactly as if you could imagine he is constructing a mathematical proof. Because mm -hmm. this story, like a lot of Ted Ching stories, is written in the form of itself. So what we get are sections that always begin with a number, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And in that first section, we will have a mathematical concept explained to us. And then underneath it, we will have, say, 1A, 1B, or 2A, 2B. And in those two sections, we will have two people's points of view, which is a married couple. The woman's name is Renee, and the man's name Carl. escapes me, but as Emma says, it is Carl. And what happens is in, is in Renee's section, she's a mathematicalist, <laughs> I like it, yeah. Uh, she's a mathematicalist that is unfortunately proven that arithmetic is inconsistent because she can make any number equal any other number. And this has destroyed the foundation uh, of mathematics for her because it was this intuitive truth of the universe. And now it is just this empirical thing that kind of works for us, but it doesn't have any relation to the real world. Uh, and in Carl's point of view, we have his attempting to come to grips with the the change that Renee is going through. That that structure thing that he does that is there fractally, right? It's there in the it's there in the sections that he builds the story out of, but it's also there in his sentences. And what I love about Ted Chang's sentences is that they are axiomatic. You know, they they are fun they reveal fundamental truths about the universe and you can build them up into theorems, into into unpicking how people work like this one that says um was talking about the girlfriend that cole had when he came out of therapy or came out of the wherever he was being cared for after his suicide attempt mm -hmm. laura yeah so it says through knowing her carl had learned about empathy and he was remade and for me the simplicity and reality that that describes just kind of pierces into my rib cage and I think yes yeah that is the kind of sentence that you can build an understanding of the universe on a lot of the scenes a lot of the individuals in Ted Chang's story will often feel almost pulled out of a of a cliche or stereotype to me the kind of problems that individual humans have often feel compressed down first into these kind of simple truths like uh, a daughter will blame everything on her mother. Mm. The daughter will be embarrassed when they go to the shopping mall. Or like in this story, the way 
that these this couple is together, it feels like a block set into place into the story. These people are together. It is an axiomatic truth that mm-hmm. here is a married couple. You know what a married couple looks like. Mm-hmm. I don't really need to explain that to you in the same way that if I say, let's imagine that one is equal to one. Every time I say that, I don't need to go back through the entire history of mathematics. But the the layering of the, the of these simple truths in a Te Ching story becomes something far greater in the same way that when you layer a bunch of simple truths in a proof, you can end up with this incredible result. That, that line you read of how he came out of therapy and he met this woman and from her he learned empathy and he was remade. This story is about empathy and about those kind of uncrossable distance of trying to know. There's a line that Renee says when she's trying to explain this mathematical proof that she's done. And she says, how would you know what I can experience? And it's a very good question. (laughs) It's a very good question. Going all the way back to the early part of our podcast where we, we talked about the magic not working for, but against your characters. I love that in a Ted Chiang story like this, like division by zero, that is the question. How can you know what I experience. The story works at ripping you at the fact that these people can't understand each other, mm-hmm. right up until the point where they find an answer. He learns how to experience what she's experiencing. He achieves empathy with her because in the same way that this foundational belief she had was taken from her by her own doing, he's realized that he had this foundational belief in himself that he was an empathetic person and that he loved Renee. And now Renee is experiencing something that he doesn't understand. And that rupture in his ability to feel what she is feeling has led him to fall out of love. And his understanding of that has brought him closer to her. At the same time, it's rendered him speechless because he doesn't know how to say at the end of the story, I totally understand you because I, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> and I totally thought I was gonna love you forever. Um, the answer to the question of the story hurts. Mm, yeah the the thing that struck me about the story was not necessarily their their reach for understanding in each other but much more her struggle for understanding of the universe and her her dismantling when what she believed was a fundamental truth turns out not to be and how although ted has rendered this in terms of a mathematician and a theorem and the reality of arithmetic for me it's something that I recognize from seeing in myself or in other people in the world when something they believe to be true turns out not to be and they crack and they're never the same again. And, you know, for some people it happens through uh, divorce or bereavement or you know, these signif- hugely significant events. But Ted has chosen to represent it through this mathematical understanding of the universe. And that, for me, makes it somehow more universal and more applicable to any kind of emotional experience because because of that that sense that we can use maths to represent anything yeah math is its own metaphor it is it is a fantastic creature uh except it is a it is a metaphor that a lot of people believe in completely and some people feel like they can't understand it and so they don't bother with it uh it's an interesting metaphor that way it made me think of nausea 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 sartre's book yeah it made yeah. me think of sartre's book not nausea. actual nausea <laughs> no i didn't feel nauseous that sense of 
freedom from understanding that life is meaningless except that she doesn't feel freedom initially she feels Uh, like i don't have the facility to imbue life with meaning because i've always relied on this meaning being given to me at the beginning where for the most part all math carl doesn't understand and the story as it goes along 1a 1b 2a 2b 3a 3b She's moving closer to Carl, and in Carl's sections 3B, he's moving to understanding that her break is like his break. Something that Ted does a lot, which is he has this kind of esoteric truth, which is up here. I've raised my hand. Yeah, up into the sky. And then he has the kind of trouble of human relationships in the other story down here. And through whatever form he's chosen, over time, he brings those things together until... Mm-hmm. They meet. And here... It tells mathematical parables. It is exactly a mathematical parable. In the last section, we get nine, which says, Albert Einstein once said, insofar as the proposition of mathematics gives an account of reality, they are not certain. And insofar as they are certain, they do not describe reality. And then the next line is, 9A equals 9B. My favorite science fiction stories marry this scientific, esoteric view of the universe with this emotional experiential truth and there was this kind of shiver it was a kind of excited nausea the first time i read it when i got to that and saw 9a equals 9b and in my math brain i was just like oh a equals b oh these people are going to come together in this section (laughs) i was like there's a little section from toward the end that i i would like to read because it It captures something that I really love about Ted's writing, which is the clarity with which he describes everything, whether it is the physical description of somebody drawing a line down the center of a page and dividing it into two columns, or the clarity of emotion. One and one will always get you two on your fingers, but on paper I can give you an infinite number of answers, and they're all equally valid, which means they're all equally invalid. I can write the most elegant theorem you've ever seen, and it won't mean any more than a nonsense equation. And this is uh, Renee trying to describe to Carl her, the source of her existential angst, the source of her breakdown. And I don't know what to say, except it's beautiful and clear and perfect. In a way, what she's saying there, where she says it's equally valid and therefore equally invalid, it's speaking to what we get in Story of Your Life about variational physics, about the idea that you can look at things as cause and effect, or you can look at things as trying to maximize or minimize a truth. And and phrases like, everything means something, or nothing means anything, therefore everything means something, or equally valid means equally invalid, is a kind of maximal, minimal. They are my favorite kind of sentence, which is why I think it's perhaps as I read and reread Story of Your Life, it grows and grows and becomes my favorite story, because I think one Ted's doing much better in that story than he's done in all his already amazing stories but also yeah I'm getting that kind of truth coming from the aliens Mm -hmm. and I feel very at home with them Mm -hmm. those aliens they know what's going on (laughs) um these people are taking a long time to figure that out so the other Ted Chang story we are talking about this week is story of your life and why are we talking about story of your life because that's the one the arrival is based on the movie that is coming out momentarily or perhaps is already out. I don't know. So uh, we have not seen the movie yet. Who knows how they're going to dramatize this very Ooh, delicate... Um, who knows how they're going to dramatize this? But at some point, as Chris has his hand up, I might let him tell you. 
Um, I'm going to give a very bald overview of what the story concerns so that we can get into the discussion of it. So this uh, this is a story about a linguist, Dr. Louise Banks, who is recruited by the army to learn to converse with aliens who have arrived in many ships to observe Boring. <laughs> What? It's such a boring description. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) No, I'm just joking at the idea that you and I, and a lot of people, I mean, right? There's a a huge swath of people that would be very excited. This is a movie about a linguist. This is a story about a linguist. (laughs) Yeah, language is cool. Yeah, yeah. Language is cool and shapes the way we think and our very reality. And that is the theorem that this story proves. Okay. Yeah. So, it's a story told in two threads. First, you have the the thread of Dr. Banks with the military doing doing the business of learning to converse with the aliens. Um, and the second leg of... No, not the second leg. The second thread of the story is the memories of her daughter who is conceived in a romantic moment in the first paragraph who dies age 25 by page 8. And whose existence and tragic end tinges all of the memories that come after with this kind of terrible, wonderful, inevitable sadness. And it is that story of the daughter and the relationship with the mum that makes me cry every single time I read this. In a lot of ways, I feel, well, in all of the ways Mm -hmm. I feel, right, this story fulfills the promise of the story we just talked about as as though you could talk about division by zero did not as though that story was not adequate no, but the thing you was, just said wonderful in, is it raises up the premise that is put there in that is put together in division by zero and and explores it to its kind of logical and right. emotional conclusion yeah, yeah and not not just conclusion i would say i mean it is conclusion but i mean in the language of the story it maximizes it mm. right because it's not the division between two people but two life forms right yes the arc of this story is that as louise learns to speak in the heptapod language or rather write in the heptapod language she also learns to see as they do which is not sequentially like we do but to understand an entire concept or past present and future of something all at the same time so time in the way that we understand it doesn't seem to mean much to them which means that as you start to get hints of this you also start to realize that the memories of her daughter are told in the future tense they're memories of things that haven't happened yet and gradually this understanding unfurls inside you that oh my god she has learned to speak this language she has learned to think in this different way which has delivered these memories of an inevitable future with her daughter and her daughter's death and still we come back to that first paragraph and still she says, yes, let's make a baby. And there is something so perfect and so tragic and so beautiful about the idea that even though she knows it will be a life, an eventual life of pain, an experience that will be a struggle, she does it anyway. And for me, that fundamentally gets at something about being human and being a parent that knowledge that you can never be good enough hey when I held my niece in my arms for the first time I was 
overwhelmed with this urge that I had to make everything perfect for her, had to, had to make herself, make her safe, and yet knew that I could never do that. And so you find yourself living in this paradox, but you try anyway. And that's what he captures so perfectly. When we saw Park Chan-wook give his lecture at the BFI, and he talked about filmmaking and about adaptation, he told a story about when he was making Old Boy, he didn't feel like the manga that he was going to adapt, which is a story about a man that gets locked up and then let go after 15 years by some mysterious individual that holds a grudge against him. He didn't feel like, in cinematic terms, why the person got locked up and why they got released made sense. It was compelling. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't figure out, well, why did he get locked up then? What would be the reason? And then as he told it, he went to the bathroom. And while he was staring at the white wall in front of him, doing his business, much in the way of Louise Banks, you know, drawing that, that image all at once, that it was a whole sentence. Parchenuk has this whole string of thoughts that forms this one image, which is, well, why did he get released? That's the question. Why did the crazy guy that locked up our hero decide after 15 years to let him go? What would happen in 15 years? Why would somebody lock somebody up for 15, not 10, not 20? And it struck me, this story, story of your life, maybe for me, more than any other Ted Chiang story, though all of Ted Chiang's stories do this, they show the mark of someone that has stared long enough at whatever wall exists in their mind or in their house until they really found what the right question was that they wanted to wrestle with. And so much, just like Parchenko says, so much of telling a great story is not just a matter of craft or even intuition about emotions or something. It is having the patience to wait until you know or have a sense of what that question is that you're trying to wrestle with. Because that's what will make the, the story great, is that, that conundrum, that paradox that is, that is worth our time and worth the wait. And if you're lucky and you find it, then it will inspire you to be better than you knew that you could be. And that's kind of what it feels like. Ted Chang is clearly great. <laughs> but this is a moment where you read stories or you watch movies and you're like, this person found a question and they rose up to it. Uh -huh. We've talked about the crux of the story and why why it's so beautiful on a, on a fundamental level. And yet he also weaves in gorgeous characters, funny, interesting conflicts, beautiful explanations of mathematics, including diagrams. And one of those things that I really enjoy is the mother-daughter relationship and how real it feels, how it's told in the, the details that are perfect in their moment and then when you come back to them later having understood what the story is about they crack open into this even more amazing thing so for instance the daughter is complaining about doing the vacuuming as you yeah. would say or the yeah. hoovering as yeah. we would say and um yeah. you know saying oh the only reason you have kids is because it's slave labor and the mom says <laughs> Louise Banks says, problematic yes. on so many levels <laughs> says yeah I knew 13 years ago that the carpet would need cleaning and so that's why I had a child. And you think that is exactly the kind of exchange that mothers and daughters or human beings have with each other. And yet, by the end of the story, you're like, yeah, 
you did know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so that lends it this kind of beautiful irony as well. The, so the, the scenes like where the mother-daughter argue about vacuuming, where the mother-daughter argue about going shopping and how embarrassing it is, they are stereotypical. They are cliché. But the, the depth of focus and the depth of compassion and the context of the question, the context of the story makes those things... They, they, they give them the significance that you feel when you finish a mathematical proof and you end at A equals A, which is obvious. They, they, they bring you through this obvious truth into some non-obvious? What is the word for non-obvious? What is the opposite of obvious? Obfuscated? Uh, let's say mysterious. They bring you through this obvious truth to this more mysterious reality um, in a way that, you know, I've heard people talk about David Foster Wallace and the way he rips apart cliches and gets at this sincere, earnest truth that is there. And the same thing happens here in, in those moments with the, with the mother and daughter. Another thing this reminded me of was... I was talking to my sister a day or two ago. She was telling me a story that she had heard someone tell at an event. And that story was about a call this person was going to receive. And the story moved its way through building you up to that call, at which point you would find out what the call was. And my sister did not find that the most enjoyable thing. She found the building of suspense to actually be more irritating and less suspenseful than maybe the storyteller wanted it to be. And I remarked to her, yeah, I could imagine Vonnegut writing that story on the day I got the call that my baby died, and that's the way it would start. And we talked about that, and we talked about how Vonnegut's whole to heck with suspense thing doesn't really throw out suspense. It brings in a different... It brings in the right kind of suspense. Yeah, it brings in, you the right, brings in the right kind of suspense. It is the same suspense that every good mystery knows. Mm-hmm. How does a good mystery start? With a dead body? Yeah. You already know the person is dead. Yeah, exactly. You just need to find out the how and the yeah, why. And it's the emotional mystery that carries you through. Um, yes, yes. Though I also think the solving of the puzzle is its own pleasure. It is not just emotional. It's also intellectual. To build up a lot of um, events of a day to find out at the end that you get a call that your baby is dead is, is horrifying, but fundamentally a boring story for 98% of it. So it made me think a lot about how Chang focusing on more of the how and why. Because as you said, at the very beginning, we find out the daughter's going to die. And we don't know how or why we know that or how that is going to relate. Even on a form level, why do we continue to get these memories of the daughter? And we, yeah, like you say, eventually find out. And it also made me think that, oh no, it feels like it's also related to the lack of antagonism with the aliens, right? That is often a question that gets answered by sci-fi stories. What would happen if aliens came Mm -hmm. and wanted to kill us? What would happen if aliens came uh, and and a boy befriended them? I don't know, but (laughs) you you know. Um, And this isn't dealing with that kind of conflict. And it made me think about how that, like like Wake Vonnegut did, like in the stories that you know are really gripping. He's he's dealing with a with a deeper level of discord. That's not just a conflict between individuals, but like a kind of Greek or, or Shakespeare, like a conflict with fate, a conflict mm-hmm. with the very fabric of existence. Like, what does it mean to be alive? Mm-hmm. And what he does in this story, like he does in Division by Zero, is put the two stories side by side. So we have the mother-daughter difficulties, which is just individual, how troubling it is to live in relationship with other human beings. At the same time, he has the other, how difficult it is 
to be alive going on in the other level. And a lot of the success or your enjoyment of touching stories come from how well those things get merged together until you can see that kind of infinity in a moment, that, which is what this story is to a certain extent. The whole story is inside of that moment where she says yes. Yeah, and I, I mean, I love a story that starts in one place, goes through a whole lifetime and then comes back to that first place again. And yeah. this does it, but not only does it, it has, it makes it a fundamental, that looping through, it makes it a fundamental truth and part of the story. Just, yeah, like Division by Zero, it is a form interrogating itself so that every story I read, secretly I want it to be, like the sentences, the heptapods, right? Mm -hmm. I want them the way that Park Chan-wook said about his movies. Once you figure out what your story is about, it is your job as an artist to commit to that and make the story have always been about what you discovered it was about. Even if you didn't discover what it was about until minute... 97 out of your 100-minute movie. You better go back and make the movie about that. Now, I think part of that's just a, you know, a structural obsession that some people have. But I think part of that, for me, is just because I feel like I discover more. I just get happier the more I make the thing about the thing. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a bit in this story where Louise is talking to... What's his name? Physics man. Gary. Gary. Uh... <laughs> Turns out to be her husband. That's uh, one of the mo more delightful aspects of yeah, this. Yeah, it's so delightful. Sorry. Uh, yeah, the cinematic thing I realized is something that a movie could do is have Gary off stage for all of those memories, all of those flashbacks. And as cheap as it might sound, it will look amazing Yeah. in a, in a way that Lost attempted often. Because Lost had flashbacks and flash forwards and often... Just a turn of the camera would change everything. And I thought, well, that's how this movie could work. That just at some point, you know, we might start in that scene with her husband. And then at some point, we will turn and realize that everything we saw, like just like Memento, movies mm. know how to mess with time. That is what they're good at. That's true. And it made me very excited when I thought, holy, this cinematic language already exists. They just didn't have the story yet to tell. And now they have this story. Anyway. Variational physics is the idea that you can look at something like uh, light reflect refracting through water, not as cause and effect, but as maximizing or minimizing. And it, uh, it occurred to me that, that all of all, writers that are approaching a level of truth are almost always maximizing or minimizing something, some aspect of the universe or some aspect of their voice. Mm -hmm. It made me think about Ted Chang and Kelly Link, which you might think of as two very different writers, one writing in a more fairy tale, surreal mode, and one writing in what seems like a much more cerebral, intellectual mode. But to me, they're both writing at the same level, level of excess and of mm -hmm. truth. They're both maximizing something. Yeah, and I'd add into that the other book I'm reading right now, which is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter Andres <laughs> Thompson. Um, definitely maximizing the insanity and minimizing anything I would ever want to be involved in. But what I love is the fearlessness of the writing. You know, it presents, it presents this character as being a terrible paranoid addict and, and revels in his point of view in such a way that doesn't say this is a shameful way to behave or this is terrible behavior but but also kind of lets you understand that you know the writer is not endorsing it 
Um, but mm. it pursues it pursues the description of that real that person's reality down the rabbit hole right to its bottom until you until you're like great now I don't have to take an eyeful of LSD for three weeks on the trot to experience that because I know it's gonna fuck you up one of the things I love doing is to use the language of a story to describe itself so in describing variational physics when they talk about different aspects of reality they say that the only thing that is different between say a question of velocity or a question of light or a question of I don't know, gravity, is which attribute is being maximized or minimized. And, you know, you're, you're talking about that. Like, in, that is what, in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, that he is maximizing, is that descent into chaos. And I feel like, to a certain extent, my shared love, the sense that Chang and Link might echo inside me, is they're both maximizing a kind of logic. They're just maximizing them in very different contexts. That Kelly Link's stories possess... A, a mm-hmm. deeply held logic uh, in the same way the Te Ching stories possess a deeply held logic. And I feel like it's just a question of where they follow that logic, the the field that they choose to play on. If you think about the universe as a ball of string, they're, they're all both following their threads to their end, but yeah. they're just pointing in different directions. And to go back to what you or I said in the podcast about Kelly Link when we talked about her simple declarative sentences that is not very far off from saying she speaks in axioms in these mm-hmm. simple truths that get built up into into lull, which, <laughs> come on, right? Lull and story of your life, basically the same story. It's amazing. Thanks for listening, readers. It is most likely that we still have not managed to figure out a way to talk about more than two stories in an episode. If you would like to share your opinions with us or recommend stories for future episodes, you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at Storylogical. Which is story. Like the word. Oh. Like the letter. And logical. Like Aristotle. You can follow Emma on Twitter. She is at E.G. Kosh. And you can follow Chris on Twitter. He is at Kuvals. You can find us and like us on Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash storyological. Um, and if you've enjoyed this podcast at all, not, don't only check out the Facebook group, but also head over to iTunes and leave us some stars and a review. Uh, we love it and it helps other people find us. For show notes, gifts of an appropriate and inappropriate nature, links to past episodes, and a chance to subscribe to this podcast. You can always find us at our home on the web. Storyological.com. See you next time. Happy reading. I definitely want to read Division by Zorro. (laughs) (laughs) Just being sliced in two. We need to make that t-shirt, Division by Zorro. Do you think Zorro would mind? I don't don't know. I'm sure Ted Chang would love it. (laughs) At least we can make a little comic with a dinosaur. He'd be down. Yeah. I live in so many centuries. Everybody is still alive.